Since January, we've been sharing on the book of Mark. I really like the book of Mark and what it is uh, presenting to us at this particular time. And one of the main things that comes out of the first uh, few uh, chapters of the book of Mark is that Jesus was focused on ministry. Now, I've seen churches, as they get involved, they're focused on, on needs within the church. Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with that, and I'll be talking about that today. But uh, one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that he focused outside of the line, so to speak. He drew outside of the line. In fact, one of the sermons that we preach, hobnobbing with the riffraff, you know, and uh, we spent a whole a series on that and how that Jesus Christ ministered to people that uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees complained about and found fault with. And then we began last Sunday on the miracles of Jesus in Mark, the miracles of Jesus in Mark. And uh, we looked at what constitutes a miracle, and we knew and found out that there were three basic uh, miracles in Mark, exorcism, that's casting out demons, uh, nature miracles, and that's certainly things like water into wine, and we'll be talking about that today, calming the storm, feeding the 5,000, and then healing miracles, which we all know about and have read about that, the healing miracles of Jesus. Now, today, I am going to go outside of Mark and talk about a miracle that is recorded in uh, St. John. And it is the only book or uh, of the four Gospels, it is the only book that speaks of this particular miracle, and it is turning water into wine. And I would like to read, if you will, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And by the way, if you don't have an outline of the uh, message, please raise your hand. Because we want everyone to have an outline of the sermon. And if you do not have one, uh, it makes it a lot easier to remember because we remember so much more of what we read than what we hear. And uh, we're going to be reading some scripture talking about this miracle at Cana. The miracle at Cana. Now, Jesus' hometown was Nazareth. And we're going to be talking about a little town called Cana. Uh, and it was about, some said seven miles, some says nine miles. It was seven to nine miles from Nazareth where his hometown was. So let's begin, if you will, by reading St. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were what? Invited. That's a great word to remember there because here Jesus was invited to be at this particular wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your, what does your concern have to do with me? 
My hour, now notice what he says to her about his hour. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to do, you do it. I love that. That's a whole message in itself. Whatever he says to do, you do it. Now there were six, uh, uh, there were set, there were set there, I'm sorry, six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they fill them up halfway. Is that what it said? Didn't say that, did it? Said it filled those water pots. Now, by the way, some says that there was 150 gallons. Some said 160. Some even says that it was up to 100 and 80 gallons of water. But they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning, this beginning, some people says Jesus performed miracles when he was a child, when he was 12. But God's word said this beginning of signs which means miracles. Uh, John always used the word signs rather than miracles. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed on him. Father, thank you for this scripture. Thank you for this message. Speak to our hearts, open not only our ears, but our understanding that we may be able to comprehend what thus saith the Lord in Jesus' name, amen. Now, often when this message is preached, and it's been preached many times, I've preached it many times, and it's been preached thousands and thousands of times. If we're not careful, when we get into this particular text, we, we lose the sight of the uh, message that I believe that God is trying to get to us. And we get hung up on two things. One of them was the wine, was the water that Jesus turned into wine, was the wine intoxicated, intoxicating. Was it fermented? That often is discussed. The second thing is what Jesus said to his mother, woman. Let's deal with that first. First of all, that was not disrespectful. That's what they said back then. It's like for you and I saying it today, Madam, it is a respected word that was used towards or to his mother. As far as the wine being fermented, as far as the wine being intoxicating, let's talk about that briefly. And I don't want to linger here long. But... Many allow themselves to be caught up in details like, was it really wine? But we know alcohol is often a deadly and destructive force in today's world. 
Amen? Amen. It is. Uh, being addicted to alcohol is expressly, and this is, there's no doubt about this, forbidden in the Scripture. Now, I do not believe, I do not believe, and I'm not convinced that Jesus turned water into intoxicating alcohol. But I don't know. I spent the whole week reading behind commentators and commentaries on, uh, on this particular subject. Some says yes, some says no. They go back to the Greek word and they use all the uh, uh, explanations and description of this word wine. But whether it was intoxicating or not, we know that alcohol is destructive. And I could spend an hour telling you what it's done to our family and my dad and with others in our family and how destructive it is. Uh, I, there's very few things in this world that I hate any worse than alcohol. But I'm going to leave that there. That's not the, the, the message that God is trying to get to us today. Read with me the introduction. The first recorded miracle Jesus performed was at a wedding. The wine had run out and the Lord Jesus Christ, at the request of his mother, moved to take care of the embarrassing situation. Some believe that she was involved, that it was part of the family, or she definitely was heavily involved in this wedding. And often weddings lasted a week back then. And it was very embarrassing to run out of wine. He told the servants to fill six available pots with water. Now, these pots were used for, for purification. The water was used for purification. The Jewish people purified themselves with this water. Now, I would not doubt that Jesus is trying to get across the point that we're going from the law to grace, from the law to grace. But notice, fill up the available water pots with water. Then he turned the water into wine, but not ordinary wine. It was the best as they proclaimed. But this was not just a miracle. It was a miracle with a message. Anytime there is a miracle in the Bible, anytime that Jesus Christ performed a miracle or there was a sign, it was to glorify and show forth the deity of Jesus Christ. Keep that in mind. And whether we see miracles today, and we do, maybe not to the extent that they happened in the Bible, but we've seen many miracles, and they take place many times daily. But whatever miracle it is, whether it's a miracle of exorcism, casting out demons, whether it's a miracle of nature, or whether it's a miracle of healing, or whatever the miracle might be, it is to glorify none other, no one else, no church, no preacher. It is to glorify Jesus Christ. Our Lord should be invited to all occasions. You know, Jesus grew up in this area. They knew him. And you wonder what kind of person Jesus was 
before the 30-year recording of his ministry. We have a little excerpt in the Bible about him being 12 years old. But what kind of person was Jesus Christ? He was a lockable person. I believe that the fruit of the Spirit was displayed in the life of Jesus Christ. I'm amazed at people today that they're so geared towards the signs of the, of, of the Spirit, and we need those, the manifestation of the great signs, the sign of the gift of, of miracles, the sign of healing, the gifts of all that God speaks of in the Bible. But, but Jesus Christ was a likable person, not only, but there were five of these disciples that came with him. Not only were, were he likable, but the disciples were invited also. But I'm here to tell you the first miracle, and I like this, that Jesus ever performed was at a wedding. He stamped his approval, not only here, but often on the sacrament and the beautiful time of a wedding. Ties between a man and a woman. Amen? And this is where it happened. We may approach Jesus at every level of need. Now, here was a time when there was joy, revelry, excitement. We can invite him when we enjoy the blessings of the Lord, and we can invite him like Martha and Mary did when we are grieved, like when Lazarus had died. So it doesn't matter where you are today, what your life consists of. It doesn't matter what, where you are in your walk with God. You can invite Jesus Christ to be part of your life. And I'm here to tell you, if you don't invite him to be part of your marriage, you're going to have problems. Christ deals with us according to his own timing. Amen? According to his own timing. I'm reminded of John 4 and 4 where the Bible says that Jesus must need be go by Samaria. Most of us know the story of the Samaritan woman when Jesus talked with her at the well. Jesus knew the timing of going to that particular location and meeting with her at noonday. So it doesn't matter what the need might be. It doesn't matter what the need is. Jesus Christ will meet us where we're willing to wait on him. And sometimes things don't happen like we want them to happen. Amen. As most of you know, my son's in rehab and recovering from an aneurysm and three strokes. And, and God's blessing him. Last Sunday, we asked the church to pray for him that he could swallow that his brain would tell him to swallow, that he would be able to eat his food and swallow his food. And Brother Morris stood and he prayed a wonderful prayer. And all of us believed God and trusted God. Monday, it was terrible. He couldn't swallow. Tuesday, couldn't swallow. Left him yesterday. He's eating and swallowing all right. Now, what the devil likes to do is to tell us it didn't happen. 
You see, you pray. In fact, it got worse. And you're often tempted. The devil tries to make us think that prayer doesn't work. Faith, exercise in faith doesn't work. But it works. It may not be when you want it to be. Martha and Mary both said, Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, your timing is off. Jesus said, my timing is is not off. I want you to know something. I, I, I am the resurrection and the life, and your brother is going to live again. He's never off time. And whatever need you have, you can invite him to be part of that. Number two, we can trust Christ when he is, is aware of our needs. The problem with the church today, if we're not careful, we get to the place we don't have needs. But we must recognize that we do have needs and own up to our needs and ask God to help us where there are needs. We we want to do it ourselves. We don't want God to be part of this Mama, leave me alone. Dad, leave me alone. Don't invite me to church. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to ask God, but we all have needs. Lord, I need you today. And he wants us to express that desire and that concern. And the Bible says simply ask. We're not going to receive if we don't ask. The Bible says ask and you what? Shall receive. It says, seek and you shall find. It says, knock and what? It shall be open. See, that's simple. So we need to understand we can trust Jesus Christ. Mary simply left the situation in the hands of the Lord. We've got to recognize our need. We've got to offer that need to the Lord in prayer, in faith, and then say, Lord, it's in your hands. I love that when she came to the servants, and she said, whatever he says, do, do. That's trust. Let me ask you something. you trust Christ? Do we believe that he really, really, really answers prayer? Do we believe that he really, really, really intervened for us? I believe he will. And it's easy for us that's... Uh, Most of the time, most of the time when we've served God for years and we've seen God answer prayer and we've seen him come on the scene, our faith and our trust remain strong. But so often if we're not careful as as new converts and and, and young believers, we, we, we wonder, God, will you really hear and will you really move in my life? It may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but God will move. As I've told you about our, uh, our uh, scholarship fund that we have started. And back in 1969, I began to pastor this church. In about 1970, 71, the board got together of this church. And we really wanted to start a scholarship program. That, this was my vision. This was my desire. And it never materialized. And you and I could have said, well... It'll never happen. But in 1991, God helped helped us to start one through our fellowship and our church is part of this. And we give. God helped us to start one. And guess what? Since 1991, 
since 1991, we've given over a half, provided over a half million dollars to qualified students. It may not happen when you think it's going to happen or should happen, but it will happen. It will happen. I don't think my brother would mind me using him this morning. I've done it before. And, but as you know, mom raised us three kids. And, uh, of course, Judy and I served the Lord. And Junius, he did not. Junius got into the uh, drinking and uh, alcohol. And his life was like that. And, and there were times that I would go and, and uh, find him on the side of the highway and then go help him to get out of jail and those things. And it just looked like that, you know, these prayers. And we'd pray and we'd pray and we'd witness and we'd pray and we'd witness. And, and it just seemed like nothing happened. And then one day, God, God knows where you are. God knows how to answer prayer. And mama's dead and gone, but her prayers are not dead and gone. Her prayers are still living. And it may not happen in your lifetime, but when you pray and ask God, express your need and believe God and trust and turn around and say, listen, whatever he does, it's going to be all right. One day he came walking down that aisle. Now, right here, gave his heart to Jesus Christ, never touched another drop since. That's just powerful. That's powerful. Whatever he said, listen, if Jesus said it, it's going to happen. It will come to pass. It will come to pass. Jesus, the reason he said what he said to his mother, not disrespectful, was the fact that he, when he said, what is that to me? My hour is not coming. What he was saying to Mary, he was saying, listen, it's not quite time for my miracles and glory and all to be manifested. He'd been a carpenter's son. He'd, he'd stayed at home. Some people said, Joseph, the dad was dead, and so he stayed home to take care of his mother. He was living at home at 30 years old. Wow. He was taking care of Mary. How about that? And he'd never, he, he didn't, he, he was not known as someone to perform miracles and do all these things. John 2 and 4 says, the hour of my being openly manifested is not here. But he honored his mother. And so this miracle, of course, as we're talking about, took place. They took whether it was 150, whether it was 180, ever how many gallons of water it was, they filled these pots to the brim. And then something happened. Doesn't say he prayed. Doesn't say he waved the wand over it or any, you know, anything like that. He said, you take this water and you go pour it out to the guests. And they did. And guess what? It was no longer water. It was wine. And one of the guests called the master or the bridegroom and said, wait a minute. The way this, is, this works is we serve the best wine first and wait later on, and then we serve the wine that's not necessarily that good. Listen, the transforming power of Christ, the water 
turn to wine. Jesus transforms empty religious forms into living faith. Dead, dry churches, lives. He takes lives. You know, we talk about what he does. Now, our vision statement is transforming lives through Christ. That's easy to remember. Transforming, you'll see that on all of our material. You'll see it on our signs. Transforming lives through Christ. We think about Jesus taking the lost, Jesus taking the drug addict, the alcoholic, the immoral, and he changes those lives. He takes the bad and makes them good. That does happen, and that's what he's talking about. But that's not what this message is about because there's nothing wrong with water. Water is good. So he takes water and makes it wine. He takes good and makes it better. And that's what the church, that's the secret of the church reaching the unsaved today is understanding that, yes, there is living water. Yes, there is salvation. But there's something that goes along with it that's exciting and glorious. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. There's no period there. And that you might have it, what? More abundantly. He don't want us just to get saved. He wants us to be excited about being saved. He wants us to express that happiness and that joy. This past Tuesday, we went into our prayer that we've been meeting 17 years with Durham Ministers in prayer. There's 18 ministers there. And we sat there and we have, we gather before we pray at 9.35 a.m. on Tuesday morning at 9th Street at Day Spring Church. And we sat there and we started talking and we got the laughing and we laughed and we laughed and we laughed. Listen, you just don't get Baptist people and Presbyterian people and Methodists and Pentecostals and charismatics, and blacks, and whites, and Hispanics. We had a brother there from Kenya. Couldn't understand him hardly, but he was from Kenya. And all of us sat there, all 18 of us, denominational walls broken down, racial walls broken down, country, if there are country walls broken down, and all of us sitting there laughing until our sides are almost hurting. The world needs to see an exciting church. The world needs to see a vibrant church. The world needs to see a happy church. And God's people need to taste and see that he is good. Can you say amen? He's good. The performing of this sign was evidence of his ability to make all things new. I'll tell you, when you get a hold of, of, of the real thing, when you get a hold of the new wine, you get excited. 
You know, they saw them on the day of Pentecost and they were all shouting, 120 of them praising God and speaking in tongues and they were scratching their head. You know what? It's not but such and such a time in the morning. They can't be drinking new wine. But they were excited. They were praising God. I want you to notice number five. Follow it with me, if you will. Wine in Scripture is a symbol of joy. It's a symbol of warmth and celebration and abundance. Water, the basic necessity of life, is changed into wine, the symbol not just of life, but of abundant, joyous, and celebrative life. The message of transformation at Cana is not about making the bad good, but about making the good better. Wine symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, but be you what? Filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to talk about, well, let's read it. I love this. Look at Ephesians. I'm going to read it with a a, a different translation of what you maybe have, but go ahead, uh, Tammy, and put it up. Stop getting drunk with wine. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads Paul writing to wild living. But keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's not just one time being filled. You know, we had, I'm saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. And it was 30 years ago, and, and we haven't been filled since. This is an ongoing process of being filled with the Spirit. You need to be filled today and tomorrow and the next day and be filled to the brim. Mm. Then you will, then you will recite to one another. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You will sing and make music to the Lord with your hearts, with your hearts, not just with your mouth. You will consistently give thanks to God the Father for everything that, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ the Messiah. Don't be drunk with wine, but be running up to the brim. The psalmist said, my cup. How long has it been since the Spirit of God and the joy of the Lord has run over in your life. Glory, hallelujah. It makes you excited. It's wonderful. Jesus changes the law, which is good, to grace, which is better. They used the purification water, and they took that and changed it to wine. The law is good, but grace is better. The Old Testament's good. Don't ever do away with it. Don't ever do away with the law. Jesus didn't come to do away with it. He simply came to fulfill it. He came to make the good better. This is a message for those whose life is like water. Good, nourishing, and life-sustaining. Many people know God only as a living water. They've never sought the filling of the Holy Spirit They've never sought the joy of the Lord to come into their heart like they should, and they're just mediocre. If the church got turned on today and watched the church of the, like the early church, they rejoiced and they rejoiced and they rejoice. There's more to life with Christ than obedience. Amen? The thief comes only to, in order to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I came, now I'm going to read from the Amplified, that they may, John 10, 10, have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it what? Bubble over, folks. Jesus Christ was no killjoy. 
The first miracle he ever performed was to turn water into wine just to keep the party going. God wants a church that's excited. It ought to be more exciting to come to church and serve God than go to Disney World in Florida. In fact, you can't take Disney World, Six Flags, and name them all and put them together and be as exciting as Jesus. It's the best in the world. No roller coaster is exciting as Jesus Christ coming in your heart and running over with joy. Woo! Oh, I'm about to get excited. I'm about to get happy. Amen. The world has well drunk looking after things to satisfy, but they are all inferior to the good wine that Jesus offers. Somebody say amen. amen. Two of the greatest men that I like reading behind, I'm bringing this to a close. One of them is F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer. And I'm, I'm not going to read all this, but I want to read you a little bit of what F.B. Meyer says as he looks at John 2.10, thou hast kept the good wine until now. The world gives its best first. As youth and beauty are ushered into the banqueting room of life, the world spreads the table with its best. The zest of enjoyment is king in those young days, but it is soon satiated. The delicacy, it's soon gone with which the table is spread, Paul, and the appetite unduly stimulated at the first. So the world gives you its best. Youth, beauty, the gaiety, the excitement, the alcohol is flowing, the bar is full, the lights are dim. And here sits this beautiful woman. But I would the cameras would go behind the scene of many of an alcoholic and a drug addict. F.B. Meyer goes on to say, uh, at last the table is served with provision from which in the last days the banqueters would have turned away in disgust. We try to satisfy the immoral things in our life, whether it's alcohol or drugs or sex. There are things that are allowed on television today that 40 years ago no one would have allowed. It would have been censored. But now it's not only in the sinner's home, it's in the Christian's home and we watch it. Don't you get mad at me. Because when we start down that slippery road trying to satisfy our lives, we have to do more and more and more to satisfy. But F.B. Meyer says that God's not that way. He saves the best to the last. His word. You can start in it when you first get saved and you can read it and study it. You can teach it and preach it and it gets better and better and better and better. 
I don't care how many times you read a scripture, you can read it again, and all of a sudden something starts turning over, and God's Word gets better and better. Can you say amen? He not only talks about the Word of God, but Christian love. In the world, you know, you can have relationships, and it seems like a lot of times the longer the relationship, the worse it gets. But in Christianity, in God's love, the agape love, the love gets better and better and better and better. And one more he mentions here. He mentions heaven. I don't know about you, but I kind of get homesick once in a while. And you think it's good with Jesus here? You wait. You wait. And I wait with anticipation. When God calls us home, and he is every one of us, it may be in the rapture, or he may just call us home. You say, you got to hurt to go home? No. You can just be walking along, and the spirit leave the body, and the body don't know what to do, and it just falls over. But we're going home. Can you imagine stepping out of, off of an asphalt street onto the golden streets? Can you imagine walking into the gate, through the gates of peril? Can you imagine the tens of thousands, innumerable people, people that you can't even number, standing before the throne, honoring and praising Jehovah and the power and the glory of the Lord? Can you imagine knowing Jesus like we do? We can't see him. We can't physically hear him. But can you imagine walking into heaven and having the Son of God saying, Welcome home. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you a ruler over many. You see, he, God Almighty, saves the best. Of the last. Jay Cass used to sing a song. It gets sweeter as the day goes by. And it really does. It really does. When you get married and you love her and love him and y'all love each other, if you're not careful, if you don't work at it, that love will die. Because love is a fruit and that fruit must be cultivated. And you can say, I do, and say, I've got her, or I've got him, and go your way, and do your own thing, and do whatever the world does. But if you don't keep the ingredient of God's copy love in that marriage, it will become stale. And there's not much like a stale marriage. You're just existing. But God can touch your life, and the Spirit of God can can, can massage that marriage. When you're married 50 years, I know it's been longer than that. You can love them better than the day when she stepped off of the bus. And I looked out of the window and I saw her. Now, I don't necessarily know that it's love at first sight, but I fell in love with my wife. But I can truly say today, that was 1963 that we tied the knot. I can truly say today in 2015, I love her better today than I did then. 
You said, has it been peaches and roses all the time? Mm-mm. I'm closing with this. Brother Denny, Sister Judy, and the team, will you get ready to sing a song? This song is written by Barney Warren. Barney Warren wrote over, listen to me, Barney Warren wrote over 7,000 songs. But he took this song from 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. Whom having not seen, you love. And whom, though now you see him not, yet believe. You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full. Of glory. Nehemiah has a verse that is earth shaking for maybe many in the church today. He said, The joy of the Lord is my strength. And the church today has lost much of its strength because it's lost its joy. Now, listen, as Ann Robertson says this. Uh, This doesn't mean talking about this joy and what I've been preaching on. This doesn't mean God promises us a life free from pain and suffering. It doesn't mean you'll never do another task you don't enjoy. But it does mean that when the water of our lives becomes wine through the touch of Jesus Christ, that even the worst circumstances that life can offer have a richness and depth that they never before. Amen. Those who only know the God of living water often feel guilty about enjoying life. My wife and I were talking about that yesterday. About we knew years ago that we knew more about what you couldn't do than what you could do. We knew more about legalism than we did others. Those, let me say it again, who only know the God of living water often feel guilty about enjoying life. They know that their faith is important and necessary, but it is so deadly dull and hard and tedious that they feel guilty for thinking that way all the time. Christian joy does not spring from the same source as the happiness of the world. Christian joy springs, listen to this, from realizing that once we have made the decision to drink the living water of Christ, that water becomes wine as it touches our lips. That we serve a God whose name is not duty but love. And most people serve God simply out of duty. I've got to go to church. I've got to do this. Let me tell you, when you get a hold of this new wine, it becomes more than just a duty. Church service becomes exciting. More than just saying, it is my duty to go to church. It brings not just, not just life, but abundant life. 
It's the shock of St. Augustine's word. Listen to this. Love God and do as you please. Joy, freedom, celebration. Not just water, but wine. Pastor, are you saying love God and do as you please? Mm. I commit adultery all I want to. I just don't want to. I drink all the booze I want to. I just don't want to. You see, he takes the want to when it comes to those things. But if you really love God, if you love your mom and dad, you're not going to do anything to hurt them. If you love Jesus Christ, you're not going to do anything that will hurt him. And if you love other people, if meat offends my brother, I'll eat no more meat. Now, when do we get to that? I, I, I got to, you can kick me on the shin later, but let me, I, I just really need to. I don't, A.W. Tozer, he pastored in Chicago for years and years. If you want to read behind a, a great writer, Pick up a book by A.W. Tozer. The Bible says in Luke chapter 24, verses 30, 52 and 53. The Bible says in Luke chapter 24, verse 52, verse 53. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. This was at the ascension. Stay awake with me. That chicken leg awake. Just a few more minutes. Let me read this. Please. Here we go. He says one can only conclude that God's professed children are bored with him. For they must be wooed to meeting with a stick of striped candy in the form of religious movies, games, and refreshments. Now, please don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong. And we're going to have that this week. There's nothing wrong with refreshments. Games, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's got today to where if you want to get people to church, you got to have smoke. You got to have lights. You got to have the best bands. And the cry today is come as you are. And most of the time they leave as they are. Listen to what A.W. Tozer says. It is scarcely, and I love this sentence. This is one of my favorite things I'll say today. It is scarcely possible in most places to get anyone to attend a meeting where the only attraction is God. He says, so we have the strange anomaly of orthodoxy in creed and heterodoxy in practice. The striped candy technique has been so fully integrated into our present religious thinking that it is simply taken for granted. Its victims never dream that it is not a part of the teachings of Christ nor a part of the teachings of the apostles of Jesus Christ. We just think this is the way it is. This is scriptural. I'll end with this one. Listen. 
an objection to the carryings on of our present golden calf Christianity. Wow. Wow. Our golden calf Christianity is met with the triumphant reply. If you say anything about all of that stuff, all about the carrying zone that has nothing to do with the Bible, nothing to do with people, if you say, here it is, but we're winning them. They're coming by the thousands. They're coming by the tens of thousands. We're winning them. Listen to what he says. And winning them to what? To true discipleship? To cross-carrying? To self-denial? To separation from the world? To crucifixion of the flesh? To holy living? To nobility of character? To a despising of the world's treasures? To hard self-discipline. You tell people today, you come and you're going to carry a cross. You won't get them in the, do- in the front door. To love for God. To total commitment or committal rather to Christ. Of course, the answer is no. We are paying a frightful price for our religious boredom. The church under the anointing and the power of God should be more exciting than the smoke coming off the platform. The gifts of the Spirit should be more prevalent than the bright, bright lights. And I love lights. The moving and manifestation of the Spirit of God should be greater than the performance on the platform. I got to hush. Father, I love you. Father, I love you. I must confess, there are times that, there are times, Lord, that I fall into this example that we've preached about, and, and if I'm not careful, if I don't examine myself, life serving you might appear to be boring, but it's not. Help us to taste of the new wine. Help our water to be turned into wine. May the miracle take place right here this morning at 3518 Rose of Sharon Road in our hearts. Change us.